Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. You are listening to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore tckpod and on Twitter at tck underscore pod. You can find all of our rankings and multiple articles at tckpod.com. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. What up, TCK Potters? Welcome back to another program of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, a.k.a. TCK Pod. This is episode 375. We are only 25 away from 400. All of a sudden, I am joined once again by my man, Bobby Lamarco, a.k.a. Fantasy Football X Factor. Bobby, how you doing, brother? Good, Sky. Ready to talk about some NFC. Let's see if we can do this really good today. Reversal of the uh, free agency. So exactly what are we trying to trying to accomplish? We did this on Tuesday uh, on the AFC. We were lucky enough to have our boy Smitty of the Fantasy Football Show join us for the AFC side. And, um, you know, we, we did have the quote-unquote backward conversation quite a bit. It's kind of hard to stick to it, though, because once yeah. you mention a player, you want to talk about that player. But we're actually trying to have a different angle on that, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, really, last, like, for example, we're talking about it uh, in 2019 into the 2020 year. We saw guys like Stefan Diggs leave to go to Buffalo. And the impact that it had on Buffalo is great and all, but there was also huge fantasy implications for the Vikings. Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson ended up emerging because he vacated so many prominent targets. That's kind of the focus of this episode is understanding when players leave, they're leaving behind some opportunities for those players. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we have a bunch of great options for you guys. Absolutely. Hey, before we get into that, man, I do want to make another mention, uh, kind of a faux pas in the fantasy football world, I have to say, but I'm a, I'm a diehard baseball fan. Uh, I have to say that my first sports love was baseball. I played T-ball at four years old. I was, you know, uh, smashing dingers at about five, six, you know, coach pitch from the nice. pops. I played wiffle ball in the front yard. I mean, from when I can remember, of course, a big football nerd as well, but baseball really is my first love played a little college baseball as well. Back home in California. I see the Padres hat, the OG Padres hat, if you will, yes, uh, that you're rocking there for people, uh, not on YouTube and on the podcast. Um, I'm a, you know, giants fan back home in the Bay area. Of course, the candlestick kids has mm-hmm. everything to do with candlestick park where the Giants played after they came over from New York from the Polo Grounds. Uh, my Giants fall early um, in the first opening day. Uh, they were up 6-1 on the Mariners, come back in extra innings, and Mariners got them on a walk-off. Padres are looking good, though, man. A lot of young talent, obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. I won't get too much into baseball on this, but I kind of nerd out a little bit. Um, you're a New York Giants fan back yeah. east, right? New Jersey, New York. So what's the the coast-to-coast connection there? Well, I mean, I'm just trying to be supportive. I moved out to San Diego a couple of years ago, and the Padres is pretty much all they got left when it comes to professional sports franchises. So I said, you know what, I'm embracing them. And I said, and it was awesome to see fans at the stadium yesterday, and, and they got the W. They're undefeated. So that's why I'm just supporting the, the only pro team really in the, in the area. 
what I'm hearing you say is you're jumping on the bandwagon of an undefeated <laughs> baseball team early. That way uh, you could ride the coattails. I hear you. No worries. No, I, I hear you. You know me. Uh, the Giants <laughs> were so good last year. I, just, I always pick the best teams, you know? So that's that. Good. That's right. I can't tell you how long I've been a Buccaneers fan, man, but that is a, that's a conversation yeah. for another time. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, let's get into this here. So what we're trying to accomplish once again is go through the NFC free agency, NFC teams. So these are players that landed on NFC teams. This is their new team, right? We talked about the AFC side of this on Tuesday. If you haven't heard it yet in the podcast or YouTube, make sure you double back. Hit our boy Smitty as well. Give him a follow. He was on that show. We are rolling just Bobby and I on this one. And again, the idea is to talk about the players that vacated and what the rest of that team looks like and what they might be opening up for those players. Okay, man, let's dive right into it here. Let's go with AJ Green, 32 years old, signs on a one-year $6 million deal with the Arizona Cardinals. But again, we're not talking about AJ Green. We talked about that last week. We covered all the AFC, NFC free agency moves for these particular players last week. If you want to hear that stuff, dial back a couple episodes. Right now, we're actually talking about it in reversal. So we're actually talking about Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, his former teammates in Cincinnati. There's a lot of uh, conversation that the Bengals might go out and get a Jamar Chase to reunite with uh, uh, Burrow. They might even go with Mike uh, or uh, you know Kyle Pitts. They could do another big move in the draft. We're not there yet. So let's first just talk about Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and what A.J. Green's um, leave means with him going to the Cardinals from Cincinnati. Yeah, well, first off, it, he vacated. AJ Green was a pretty solid focal point of that offense, even though he didn't finish as a strong fantasy asset. You know, they vacated about 136 targets, not just from AJ Green, but from a couple other players that left. So even if they do go out and draft a Kyle Pitts or they go and get a Jamar Chase, there's about 136 targets that they can soak in and give more to Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Now, the thing I want to talk most about these guys is what the Joe Burrow injury has deflated their value because when you look at them at the end of the season, they didn't finish as strong as they probably would had if, if Joe Burrow played 16 games. And what I mean by that is, you know, last year, you know, Higgins didn't, didn't play week one. He was actually, a, wasn't even a starter week one. So weeks two through 10 that he was actually in the starting lineup with Joe Burrow. He averaged 12 points per game was the wide receiver 21 in points per game during that time frame, So he is a rock solid wide receiver too, but currently he's being drafted as the wide receiver 23. So right now today, it seems like he's kind of being drafted, you know, where he was as a rookie coming into the system. Now he's going to have another year continuity. We talk about this all the time with more target upside, with more continuity with Joe Burrow, with Joe Burrow coming back. This means that I feel like at wide receiver 23 best ball ADP right now, you're getting him pretty much where he at his floor. I think there's plenty of room for optimism. And then Tyler Boyd is another one. Actually, Tyler Boyd actually outperformed T. Higgins during the first part of the season. He was averaging 12.4 points per game. He was actually the wide receiver 20 during that time frame. And he's being drafted as the wide receiver 28. So that's what tells me is I think Tyler Boyd is actually an even better value, but you can actually probably get him a round or two later than Higgins because Higgins was the flashier player and Boyd's more consistent. But Boyd was proving that he was actually outproducing Higgins during that time. And I even excluded week one for Higgins. So it's not like I'm just pulling the data and say, oh, well, he didn't even play week one. No, I'm pulling the data that Higgins actually started games from week two to ten. He still outperformed him. And Tyler Boyd's going about five or six spots behind him. So I think Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are both buys based on their current ADPs with A.J. Green now at the door. I think that's a great call. And, and Tyler Boyd kind of annually uh... – 
you know, we can use the term disrespected. I think it's, you know, a little over aggressive, but it's like that term you throw around drafts because I mean, for, for when he was younger, it was AJ green getting drafted higher and got injured, getting drafted higher and got injured. It wasn't until last year where we finally were like, okay, I don't trust AJ green. And he was falling and Tyler Boyd jumped now T Higgins because of the new hotness and, and rightfully so T Higgins is a beast, but Tyler Boyd's still giving you that value. And I mean, if you're getting him at a wide receiver three or a, a later wide receiver two disc, um, he can put up weekly wide receiver one options. And if this offense takes the momentum forward that we expect it to with hopefully some new offensive line, Joe Mixon getting back, Joe Burrow coming back healthy, uh, we should see another increase there in Cincinnati as well. And coming out of the draft last year, we talked about it, you know, pretty much everybody across the board had either Jerry Judy or CD Lamb as their one and two. Nobody was talking about Justin Jefferson. So don't let them fool you and fucking tell you that they were. <laughs> yeah. But T. Higgins. T Higgins was my number three. Uh, and I was basically, I'm just hooked on those Clemson receivers, man, uh, all the way back. I mean, Sammy Watkins, Nuke, you know, there's so many of these guys um, that I've loved over the years. So love, uh, love what they're going to do there in Cincinnati. And, you know, AJ Green wasn't very effective early, but he got peppered. And whoever else steps into that role obviously can help. Now, again, if they bring in a Jamar Chase or somebody else skill level wise, that could decrease value a little bit. But as of right now, definitely, uh, Look at T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Okay, man, let's move on here. Uh, I have uh, David Moore. If you want to uh, scoop up a little bit, we can. Um, David Moore here signed a two-year, $4.75 million deal with Atlanta. Um, now, he was kind of the third, fourth-string option there in Seattle, moves to Atlanta. Of course, they still have Julio Jones, who, yes, got banged up last year, but he's not done yet. And Calvin Ridley, who is a top five receiver, in my opinion, in the NFL. They also brought in Hayden Hurst last year as well. So what does this mean for, you know, in the other side of things? Again, you have the 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 reversal of this. So what does this mean for the Seattle vacancies? Tyler Lockett just got a huge contract, which right. make, makes me believe that, in, like, Russell Wilson's not going anywhere, first of all. Secondly, DK Metcalf is going to be there for the next, you know, five years minimum. And Tyler Lockett just signed up a couple more years as well. So they're locked in. But how do we feel about the tight ends potentially? And how do we feel about Chris Carson with David Moore being out? So there's 144 vacated targets from Seattle as a whole because they had a lot of guys in that 40. And we've talked about this a couple of times in that 40 to 50 range. David Moore, Jacob Hollister, Greg Olson that had 40 or so targets that are all now gone, and it ends up adding up. And the thing I noticed, too, is this change in offensive philosophy. And I, and I was really interested because I noticed over the years the Seattle Seahawks never really had three predominant receivers. They always usually have two. And I backed it up with numbers. So I looked at the number three option in L.A. because the new offensive coordinator comes from the Los Angeles Rams versus what Seattle has done over the last four seasons. That's kind of what I found. And this is very important with David Moore leaving because there's the number three option could have a better season now with a more focus on a third option. So over the last four years, Seattle's number three pass catcher averaged 0.8 targets per season. Now the Rams during that same exact time frame averaged 84.5. So the number three option had a clear, much more predominant role in that passing game. And the great thing about the Rams offense that's coming over, it was Todd Gurley one year. It was Tyler Higby another year. It was a, a receiver another. It was it was different types of players. So what that tells me is 
Freddie Swain or whoever the number three is for the for the Seattle Seahawks doesn't mean they're going to become that number three. It could be Gerald Everett or Will Disley or Chris Carson. I think Chris Carson to me among this group is actually one of the most interesting because he actually last year on a per game basis was the number three option in targets on a per game basis. So I think that Chris Carson, we saw Todd Gurley early in the McVay era have consistently 80 plus targets. And if, if Carson can get more of that passing game role, him and Carlos Hyde split more work than you would like to see. Carlos Hyde's now gone. So that's another aspect of this too. So I think Chris Carson to me, along with the tight ends, really could emerge. And one of those guys can become fantasy relevant in 2021. I believe in any of these other running backs. I don't want to get on too much of a uh, – there's too many hypotheticals in, in Seattle. And I feel like for the last decade, outside of Marshawn Lynch and Chris Carson, we've been guessing uh, the running back situation in Seattle. But, I mean, DJ Dallas came in, rookie from Miami last year. Um, Rashad Penny's still around-ish. I mean, they have other options there. Chris Carson did come back and resign, which is good. They believe in him. But he's not – I mean, he can catch the ball. He's a good pass catcher. But is there anybody else in there that you think might take over more targets maybe with a third, fourth receiver being out? Yeah, I think it's more the tight ends and the running backs. I think in a lot of schemes you do see that the tight end and running back correlation of targets is a real thing. So, I, And we saw this with Todd Gurley in the first two years when McVay was dominant, and then it switched over to Higby in 2019. And then this year, there was actually still more of a prevalence on tight ends than running backs. So in that offense, it could be very easily Gerald Everett or Disley that gets the number three most targets versus Chris Carson. I just personally think he has an established rapport, and he just offers a different dimension. I mean, Gerald Everett, we talk about him stretching the field a little bit, but they have probably the two best field stretchers. Maybe in the NFL, I'd say beside of like Tyree Kill, for example, Kenny J. Um, but overall, you know, but I'm just saying like, that's, that's just offers uh, him a different dimension, but I still believe, I personally think I'm going to be watching it. I'm open. My it's going to be Chris Carson. I'm open mind to uh, anybody. I think it just really shows is that there's going to be a third pass catcher in this offense can be fantasy relevant. Got it. Perfect. We had a little bit of a freeze on your side, Bobby, just a heads up there, uh, just to double check everything in your connection on your side, but you are back and we are ready to go. Let's move on to Dan Arnold. Um, Again, not really a sexy name. He's been around for quite a while, um, but he did have a a breakout season uh, with the Cardinals last year. Uh, Not a lot of opportunity, but did catch a handful of touchdowns down the stretch there. He was kind of a streaming tight end at a very weak position in fantasy football uh, and somewhat reliable. I mean, most late round tight ends or touchdown or bust anyway. And he was certainly getting you those Signed a two year, $6 million deal with Carolina. Uh, but again, let's talk about his former teammates, Chase Edmonds. Now who's the lone back for now. We all believe that they will bring in somebody else, but for now it's Chase Edmonds, Christian Kirk, and now AJ green. We talked about AJ green earlier, but we talked about the Bengals side of things. Now let's talk about AJ green, potentially uh, getting opportunity in Arizona here. So Chase Edmonds, uh, Christian Kirk, and, AJ Green, uh, no need to talk about Nuke. He's going to get his. Yeah, and Nuke got his last year. So Nuke got 160 targets in his games. It's not really realistic to think he's going to go that much higher. He could. Of course, Nuke Hopkins has a career high of 190 targets, so it's been done before. Um, But even so, even if he does get a 15-target bump or 20-target bump, this team's vacating 156 targets. And that tells me that, listen, Christian Kirk was kind of a bust last year. He did not perform like any – I was actually really high on him in the ninth round or so. Uh, and he didn't perform. So I think A.J. Green stepping into this role, Chase Edmonds I put on the spreadsheet too because 
you know, like I touched on a bunch of times, you know, the tight end running back perceptions are kind of very, there's a correlation there, right? So I do believe that there is no replacement for Dan Arnold right now. They, they re-signed Daniels, who's a blocking tight end. There is no tight end on the roster that's going to step into any vacated targets really for, for Dan Arnold. And I do think that's going to open up more opportunities. Plus this team has a lot of continuity. I mean, we could say what we want we, about Cliff Kingsbury as a coach. We're not sure yet, but at the same time, Kyler Murray's coming back another year in the system. DeAndre Hopkins, another year in the system. I think, I think personally with him constantly taking double coverage and drawing a lot of attention from defenses, I do believe that AJ Green is going to probably walk into 90 targets or so, whatever that is. And my personal thing about AJ Green was, he was out for all of 2019. He missed most of 2018. And it's really hard to imagine him stepping right into 2020 after missing that much time and being a good quality receiver. He's going to have to get his legs under him. And, of course, like the first couple of weeks, they peppered him with targets. But there were some productive games with Cincinnati. And then, of course, Burrow got hurt. And then it's really hard to judge him over the last six, seven weeks because he's playing with a bunch of backup quarterback. So I think maybe it might be a little more optimistic on AJ Green because there's 156 vacated targets and DeAndre Hopkins is only going to go up a certain amount. And there's going to be plenty of targets for these guys to take up in, in 2021. I agree. And uh, AJ Green is somebody that I'm probably willing once again in redraft leagues to uh, take in the 12th or 13th round. Because, again, as we mentioned in, in Cincinnati, he was peppered, couldn't make much of it. He and Joe Burrow were clearly not on the same page, and maybe he just wasn't clearly healthy yet. But, um, you know, if AJ Green's able to continue – and look, he is, he's 31 years old, 31, 32. He's the same age as Julio Jones. Both these guys are getting beat up. They're, they're tailing off of incredible careers but they're not completely toast. They're not 37, eight years old. I mean, if these guys can get healthy for four, five, six games and they get the opportunity, I think they'd be fine. And look, AJ might have a great opportunity being a number two after a decade of being that number one. Maybe he'll uh, he'll see softer coverages and things like that that he can, he can get loose. But he's not a speed guy. We know that he's going to be a possession receiver, so more of a PBR guy. I don't expect 100-yard games from him anymore, but if he can get me, you know, six for 80 to 90 in a touchdown roughly uh, per week on the upside. That's a great wide receiver three, four, you know, flex position, especially when bye weeks come around. Well, I think another thing too with AJ Green is last year, he, you had to draft, you had to put capital in him. He was about an eighth round pick. Exactly. This year he's, he's picked 192 in best ball 1080p. <laughs> so we're not even talking redraft right now. He's not even in the first 15 rounds. So we're talking about if you start hearing camp reports and he starts, you know, building rapport and we're hearing he's going to be entrenched as a starter. He doesn't seem like a bad pick in the 15th round. I think it's worth the upside. He's proven proven track record. I agree. I love it. Let's move on here to Damian Williams sat out last year, of course, with the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, they came up just a bit short in the super bowl versus Brady still just 29 years old. Um, signed a one year deal with Chicago here. Now, <laughs> There's a whole other conversation with the Chicago backfield now that Damian Williams is around. Had trouble staying healthy, but in when he's been healthy, he's been effective, especially with the Chiefs there with uh, David Montgomery. But let's talk again about the Kansas City side of things. Le'Veon is still unsigned. Um, he could come back. He may not come back, but they, they bring back Daryl Williams. They have CEH, who last year was maybe frustrating for fantasy managers because he was in like the top seven, eight when drafts came around once he went to the Chiefs, which I think was just an aggressive oversight by us in the fantasy community. Like, not necessarily you and me personally, but I certainly didn't have him that high. But the community at large, analysts and people that have podcasts and shows like we do, 
saying that CEH is a top 10 back just because he's going to play in this offense with Andy Reid and that he's going to be Brian Westbrook just frankly was an oversight there. Now, I do think he has a better upside in ceiling than he did last year, but the reality is we just don't know yet. Le'Veon Bell, again, not around, and he's past his prime anyway. Uh, but they do have Daryl Williams, who look I, he looks fine when he gets when he gets work though. So, is Ceh going to be a third down back? Is he going to be the main back? What do you see here with Damian Williams, who wasn't in the picture last year either? But now we know he's definitely not in the picture this year. Neither is Le'Veon Bell as of right now. It's just the two backs. <laughs> so I lost myself looking into Ceh. I actually was in the weeds, and I did it for us in the TCK pod. I did because. You know, I was trying to understand. Yeah, no. So I was looking at all aspects. And the first thing I thought was, oh, maybe he's not as far from the passing game because of Daryl Williams. That's not true. He was actually, he got more targets per game than we saw out of guys like Kareem Hunt. So that wasn't the problem. And then I started looking at his touchdown totals. And that's where things started looking really weird. He had five total touchdowns last year playing for the Chiefs. So that led me to look at his carries inside the five. He had nine carries inside the five. He only converted one for touchdowns. League average is about 40% conversion rate. So that means that just on the nine carries he got last year, he should get roughly three more touchdowns based on league average. So he was well below league average in that aspect. But another thing, he wasn't good in the passing game. Was he involved? Yes, he ran plenty of routes. He got plenty of targets. But when I looked at his actual – the stats that matter, so yards per target and yards per route run, he was below average in both those. So league average – I'm talking about league average yards per target for running backs is 7.5. He was at 5.9. And yards per route run was 1.3 for running backs. He was at 1.04. So he's below in both those metrics. Can he improve? Absolutely. I think that's the thing about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is that he actually just wasn't good last year. And I think in Andy – I think – Betting on the fact that they didn't bring Le'Veon Bell back, they didn't go out and sign a veteran, they didn't even keep Damian Williams. I think the Damian Williams release meant more to me than anything else because Damian Williams we know has a good track record in this offense. And I think them releasing him, I think that gives a vote of confidence for CEH that I'm going to buy him where he's going because all those averages are probably going to go back to the mean in the average category because I think he is a talented back. And then those touchdowns, they always bounce back. I just posted something about Zeke, who had a terrible carries inside the five season. They always seem to bounce back. So if he gets more of those too, we're talking about a big bounce back year for CEH. I agree. And let's not forget that, you know, Damian Williams, in my opinion, should have been the Super Bowl MVP against my Niners. So definitely has the abilities and for them not to bring him back. Uh, gives me gives me um, more uh, more confidence in Ceh than I had coming into last season as well. And of course, he was a rookie last year, no combine or no um, preseason, yada yada. All those things I think give him a boost this year. Let's just not overcorrect uh, overcorrect there. Okay, let's move on to Jamal Williams, twenty six years old, two year, seven and a half million dollar deal with Detroit. So we've talked kind of at length about Jamal Williams specifically, but let's talk about his. Former teammates in Green Bay, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Aaron Jones gets re-signed, big money for him. He'll be fine. He'll get his. But he's not as much of a bell cow as I think it feels because of his fantasy yeah. stat line. He's just uber efficient and scores touchdowns in that offense. And A.J. Dillon, you know, look, I don't think he'll ever be Derrick Henry, <laughs> but anybody who has the ability to be 75% Derrick Henry on any given play or week is somebody I'm interested in, at least as a high-end handcuff. Yeah. So 
Another thing I have with Aaron Jones is I was actually pleasantly surprised. I think there was a misconception. I personally thought that Jamal Williams had a bigger impact on his touches. To be honest with you, it wasn't the case. So I actually looked at the splits from last year. Uh, he had 15 carries. in the. Th there was two games Jamal Williams missed, but there was also another game he played 6% of the snaps, so I counted that one towards the Aaron Jones game. And I also looked at the games that Jamal Williams played. So it was 15 carries to 14.2. So there was a slight bump, but nothing crazy. His production spiked, though. He had 99 yards rushing versus only 73 in the games with Jamal Williams. So whether the word, it, even though his yards, he's much more productive. I don't know what the reason was. The games they faced, it was San Francisco, Tennessee, your boy San Francisco, Tennessee, and Carolina. And when I was looking at this, I said, all right, you know, that's interesting. Maybe maybe there's something else. Why wasn't he getting more touches? Was A.J. Dillon more involved? Well, A.J. Dillon was more involved. Well, two of the games were blowouts. So that skewed everything. I, Sky, trust me, last night, your migraine ended up helping our podcast because I went all in last night on research. You're, <laughs> so. you're welcome. You're, I'm happy to happy to happy to take a Percy yeah. Harvin for the yeah. team. That a boy. No, I love it because I, I so because I, I, I kept asking myself, I'm like, how is that true? And then sure enough, it was because two games were blowouts, and AJ Dillon dominated touches in the fourth quarter. So that drove a lot of this as a as why it was almost a wash. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones in the first three quarters pretty much dominated touches. It was the last fourth quarter where AJ Dillon kind of basically evened things out a little bit. But the other thing was, even though the targets didn't spike. It was his on-field usage that did. He actually out – him and Jamal Williams was at like 60-40 when it came to routes in the games that Jamal Williams played. He is a much more prominent pa uh, uh, in the pass game than J A.J. Dillon. It was proven in the snaps. So there was like – it was almost one to four with A.J. Dillon. So I think that even though we didn't see the target bump last year, I think it's only going to help this year. So I think it will impact his passing game usage. He will be on the field more in passing situations – because A.J. Dillon isn't as necessarily a dominant figure in the passing game. And also, Jamal Williams was just as prominent in the red zone. So I thought maybe, oh, A.J. Dillon's going to get all the goal line work now and yada, yada. Well, Jamal Williams got a lot of the goal line work. He got a lot of carries inside the five. It wasn't as clean cut. So there was nothing there that changed it either. So I think Aaron Jones does get a little bump because of the Jamal Williams departure. I think that's a, that's a, that's a great call. And, and a lot of that came, obviously, in that – snow blizzard versus Tennessee and whatnot. And man, Aaron Jones is fun though. And I, you know, I picked up a couple shares of AJ Dillon and dynasty last year because he was thrown out to the weeds because of Jamal Williams or whatever. And, and it's weird because the dynasty community is either like super pro AJ Dillon or anti AJ Dillon, which is dumb. You should never be that way on anybody, but right. writing in the middle has helped me, you know, gain some yeah. easy value. He's a throw in piece on a trade and he's free. <sighs> Uh, right now and I, want, I need I need a running back too okay we need to talk you know I just want to be selfish for a second tell me what I can get for I want AJ Dillon as my RB2 because I'm in a terrible standard dynasty league I have no running backs so like what do you think if I offer a second round pick do you think I can get AJ Dillon oh yeah absolutely and is that worth it um, I think it might be overzealous right now depending on how you feel about the position however though again I, I feel like so here's how you got to think about it. is he a, is he a is he going to give you value by himself or is he going to be at the mercy of Aaron Jones like Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard are? We know yeah. that Madison Madison and Pollard can be weak winners, league winners, if one of those guys were to go down and they play the, the last five games of the season by themselves. We know that they're going to be 80% um, you know, who they're filling in for. Can A.J. Dillon be 80% of Aaron Jones? 
statistically I, maybe, but they're just totally different backs. And I would think that the offense would have to change a little bit if Aaron Jones were to go down. But as we've seen, honestly, I just think that means Aaron Rodgers throws more. So I gotta, I think a late, late second round pick, maybe early second round pick, probably not just because I think you can get another stud running back or wide receiver coming in this draft class that might yeah. fall into an opportunity right away that you're not waiting on. But getting AJ yeah. Dillon on your team, I think, is is a good move. So my thought about this is though, Tony Pollard and and Madison are different circumstances because those guys are clear workhorses. I mean, mm -hmm. Dalvin Cook and Elliott are clear cut workhorses. The Packers have kind of been not like that. They've they've sure. kind of balanced it out. I think I think the problem with AJ Dillon though is he's not the number two getting passing game work. Like it, like Austin Eckler thrived behind Melvin Gordon because he was the passing back. Right. And that's what helped drive his fantasy value to be flex-worthy on a standalone basis. And A.J. Dillon doesn't do that. It's almost inverted. He's going to be the 1B, but he's not going to be the passing game back, which is a problem because he's never going to top 12-plus carries unless it's a blowout, and those are always kind of hard to predict. So I, I think that's my problem with it. I think the best-case scenario would probably be like old-school Tevin Coleman when he was backing up Freeman. Like That how might about, be your best-case scenario. How about Latavius Murray? Yeah, Lat Murray is a great. That's actually probably the best one. And 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 touche, and, 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 and well, and Latavius Murray. If if Latavius Murray gets fifteen touches in the game, he's going to get you eighty yards, and he can get you two touchdowns. We see it all the time when yeah. Alvin Kamara's gone down for a couple of weeks. And I think AJ Dillon can get you that at least. Is he going to get you eighty yard screen passes? No, um, but he can get you you know sixteen, eighteen touches yeah. and eighty to one hundred yards and a score or two. And I. <laughs> It's it's a conversation for another time, but this whole conversation yeah. about this running back doesn't catch passes or can't catch passes is just not legit. Like this whole thing with Jordan Howard with his careers, like he just can't catch pass. He can't. I know he's not really good at it. He's not proficient like a CMC or Saquon or whatever. Right. These guys are world class athletes. I don't give a shit who you are. You can catch a football. It's just a matter of the athleticism to do it and make a big play out of it, whatever. And if you can't do it with ease, then they don't use you that way. And I get yeah, it. Right. But if Aaron Jones were to go down and A.J. Dillon is the guy and they don't have somebody else that comes in, you know, look, it's an NFL team. They'll have next man up. They'll have somebody else taking snaps. I don't expect him to get 100% of the share at that point, but I do expect him to fill in pretty admirably. All right, man. One more name, and then we'll uh, get to a uh, shout-out to our boys at Jersey Jungle here. Let's go to Brashard Perriman, 27 years old, one-year, $3 million deal with Detroit. Um, this is going to be interesting here. Uh, you know, comes out of the Jets. He ended the season two years ago with the Buccaneers and um, Jameis Winston once Chris Godwin and Mike Evans went down. Brashard Perriman was the number one wide receiver in the last five weeks of 2019. Um yeah. Long career, though, he I think, what is it? He's on his fifth team in six years, I believe it is, or something like that. He's bounced mm -hmm. around quite a bit, but he showed a little bit. He showed some big plays last year with the Jets, which we know were a train wreck. So what's going on here with uh, Brashad Perryman and, and newly added Corey Davis coming over from Tennessee to the Jets? And, of course, Denzel Mims, who was a high-profile rookie last year, Battled injuries, a little COVID issue. Had had didn't really get the opportunity. Uh, how do you feel about the Jet side of this with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims and I your boy it, Chris Herndon, of course? Yo, and that's it's a great leading because I was just going to bring up Chris Herndon. All right, so the one thing that's extremely consistent about the Shanahan style offense is that tight ends have been very prominent. I mean, George Kittle to Jordan Reed to you know 
Chris Cooley, you know, we can get all the way back there. And that, to me, is another thing I realized when I was looking at this, because I first went into this whole thing, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, you know, Keelan Cole. And what I immediately realized is I had to take a look at how does the Shanahan's utilize their passing game. And that's where that's where LaFleur is coming from. That's where he's been under for years. Over the last four seasons, so it's essentially since Kyle Shanahan took over in San Francisco, they have targeted wide receivers at the second lowest rate in the NFL. So they are not a heavy wide receiver. And you could say that's because they haven't had a lot of talent. That's because they have George Kittle, you know, but at the same time, that's the facts. I mean, and you can't say Corey Davis and, and Mims and Jameson Crowder is like a trio of wide receivers that demand the targets. I believe the best, I think based on what I'm seeing, based on what I think, I'm going to be watching. <laughs> I feel like this is going to hurt. Chris, Chris Herndon. I know I got burned last year. I know. But I think based on the offense, based on what I've seen in research, I'm going to watch that too, so hard because I we saw it with George Kittle in San Francisco. His second season, he took off. And I do believe that because of the vacated targets by the Jets, there isn't that many. It's about 120. I think it's. Uh, I think that to me, though, overall, I just believe that we can definitely see any one of these guys emerge. But I'm going to put my money on a, a position scarcity, like a tight end, like Chris Herndon, because the offense itself will feature any type of player, even running backs. And I think that's where the best money is. I just don't see Corey Davis and Mims and Jamison Crowder consistently providing wide receiver to value uh, in an offense which. I guess we don't even know if they're going to have the new quarterback or working quarterback and stuff. So that's me. I think Chris Hearn's the best bet for fantasy. So last year you and I talked about tight ends. It was actually our first episode together. Obviously we fell in love and now we're happy ever after here the whole season later. Um, And that was the, the infamous Logan Thomas episode that I've given you props on 397 times (laughs) on the podcast. But during that episode, we also talked in depth about Chris Herndon. I know it's been kind of a, kind of a joke and a tongue in cheek in fantasy circles, but I'm with you, dude. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I was all in, I drafted him everywhere late and it blew up in my face and blah, 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 whatever. But I'm with you, man. And, and with the, the 49ers scheme coming in, you're right, George Kittle. And, and I love that you, you dropped a Chris Cooley on us for the OG. Oh, play. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal for the former Washington team back in the day. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Jordan Reed and, and, and so forth. So, I'm with you there, and I would like to see Chris Herndon get the opportunity because I think he's extremely athletic, and if he can stay healthy and get the opportunity, I think he can be one of those late-round tight ends that we draft in like the 13th round that nobody cares about, and you're kind of like, hey, yeah. who, the, who the hell's Robert Tunyon? Like, why not? You know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he catches 11 touchdowns, and he's the wider se- or tight end five on the season or something. That could be Chris Herndon if – you know, Sammy D sticks around or they bring in a rookie who just peppers the tight end anyway, plus the scheme and frankly limited weapons uh, there in New York and, and lack of a run game, which generally benefits the tight end position. Just, and this is another thing. Forget about George Kittle for a minute. Okay. Let's talk about Matt, Michael Force brother. He left, went to Tennessee, featured tight ends, Johnny Smith, Anthony Ferksner. Then he goes to Green Bay and boom, Robert Tanya, top five tight end. Like it's just, you have to sometimes just understand that the scheme, Love, and Chris Herndon, to me, is like, okay, we saw his rookie year. He had one of the best rookie seasons mm-hmm. that any tight end had. Over 500 yards doesn't sound like a lot. but like nobody, wise yeah. Nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's doing that as a rookie. So I think that, to me, you have to watch the scheme, and that's why I think it's going to – I think – I hope so. <laughs> I hope it happens. I hope it happens. I totally agree, brother. All right, man, before we get on here, let's get a shout-out to the homies at the Jersey Jungle, of course. 
You know, we've been big fans of the Jersey Jungle. They've been helping us out here on the TCK pod for quite a while. You can go find the Jersey Jungle on Instagram. That's where they like to be reached out to. DM the Jersey Jungle, the Jersey Jungle on Instagram. Make sure you use the promo code TCK to receive 10% off of one jersey and 10% off of two jerseys. 15% though off of three plus jerseys. Again, that's the Jersey Jungle on Instagram. Hit up our boy Trenton. Reach out to him. He's got a lot of stuff in stock. And if you look at his stories pretty routinely, he'll have a big list of of new kind of flashy custom jerseys that he gets in all the time. He gets a big box once a week and he dumps them out and he shows everybody what's up. He just got these like if you're following the NBA at all, uh, the Miami Heat, their jerseys this year, like that neon pink and blue. Um, you also have the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers who are wearing jerseys that say Oakland or Portland across the front instead of Warriors or Blazers. So you can get some of those unique jerseys. Of course, they have NFL, MLB, MLS, even uh, world soccer and football for our uh, international fans out there. Um, Major League Baseball just kicked off yesterday, as we mentioned, per this recording. So you can feel free to get your Padres or Giants or any other team. Maybe you're a Dodgers fan, unfortunately, uh, that is celebrating last year's World Series win, or you want to get on the train of a new team this year. Feel free to hit up the Jersey Jungle. DM them on Instagram, the Jersey Jungle. Use the promo code TCK, three letters, TCK, 10% off of one or two jerseys, 15% off of three jerseys with the jersey jungle bobby if you had to we talk football jerseys all the time if you're going to get one baseball jersey current ever all time who's your baseball jersey ken griffey jr ken griffey you know what ken griffey jr is probably mine too growing up as a 90s kid it's almost impossible not to be a ken griffey jr fan i'm gonna throw it back i'm I'm a i'm a kind of a historian in baseball an OG guy. I would love to get me like a Willie Mays. One of the, one of the old school guy, Hannes Wagner, obviously one of those legendary, just icon um, pillars in the baseball community, but Ken Griffey jr. Certainly guy. And you know, if I, if I'm going now uh, I got to lean Mike Trout, he's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, if he was not on the angels, he would be um, a world, a world renowned superstar. But uh, unfortunately for him, he's in the wrong side of the Los Angeles market. Okay, brother, let's get back into this here. Once again, we are talking NFC free agency, but backwards, we're talking about the vacated uh, teammates and positions that these players have left. Let's jump back into this here. Deshaun Jackson, 34 years old, a one year deal with the Los Angeles Rams, leaves behind Jalen Reger and question mark the eagles have to go out and get about four wide receivers in this draft at some point they do have dallas goddard they're most likely going to get rid of zach Ertz. they have you know jalen hurts who i believe in um but there's murmurs even out of philadelphia that they don't necessarily believe in him full-time do they draft a quarterback or move up or whatever so there's minimal opportunity and minimal um weapons right now in philadelphia outside of jalen reger who last year was a rookie um but they've got rid of alshon jeffrey they got rid of deshaun jackson so i mean looks like wheels up on jalen reger for now however i do expect him to to fill in a number of uh pass catchers in philadelphia eventually yeah so the thing with the eagles too is the zach Ertz is kind of a, a hanging fruit because Right now, they're only at about 81 vacated targets between guys like Deshaun Jackson, who barely played last year. But once you take out Zach Ertz, that's another 72 targets from last season. Now you're up over 150. And even if a rookie comes in, like I've always, this is kind of why we talk about this stuff. And 
you know, listen, Jalen Hurts is a different style quarterback. He's going to run the football. He's going to be a stud. I think just from this whole thing, I'm drafting Jalen Hurts. I think no, it's not a hot take. He's awesome. And I think he, if he's even outside the top eight quarterbacks, he's probably going to be the biggest steal next year, even if they don't really address the wide receiver position, which we all believe they will. But for now, I think Jalen Rager, even if they do go out and get a Smith or I don't know if they're going to get Chase or, you know, he's probably too early. But even if they go out and get Devonta Smith and they bring him in, I think there's still opportunity. So Jalen Rager with Jalen Hurts. So Jalen Hurts last year, he was – he led the team in yards with Jalen Hurts when he was the quarterback. He was second in targets, and he had the highest yards per route run with that team. So he was playing well with Jalen Hurts. I think Dallas Goddard, Dallas Goddard led the team in targets. He's probably going to be your favorite play of all, everybody, of course. I think he's definitely someone in this scenario where I think we're all waiting on pins and needles for the Hurts shoe to drop. But I think he's Dallas Goddard is not going to get top three, top four recognition, recognition, even though he should. He's in an offense with the new, uh, new head coach coming in that loves to feature tight ends. We saw it in Indianapolis with Rick, uh, Rick Sirianni. They're coming over. They love tight ends. They've done it with Jack Doyle. They target. They have three guys who get like 50 targets in a season. So I think that Dallas Goddard, to me, of this group, he's not going to get top four consideration, but he's probably one of those guys that can flirt with that top four value if, if Ertz leaves. And I think that's something we have to monitor. Plenty of targets for Dallas Goddard. He was also leading the team in targets with Jalen Hurts. So he's that guy. So I think really number one of this whole thing is going to be Dallas Goddard, number one. I think Jalen Rager, to me, right now he's going in the 10th round. I think his draft will fall. If they take a guy like a Davonta Smith, who, and listen, I think one of my shortcomings, and I think this is what a good question for you is, do you think Smith, if he comes in, is a immediate 120 to 150 target kind of guy? Oh, uh, yes, with the pedigree. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm going to bring this up here real quick. It's going to cut us off a little bit, but I'm just bringing this up here. Actually, let me clean up some banners. Uh, pause just a second here. Dun, 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 dun. I want to take a look at this really quick with you here, Bobby. So this is the updated, and we didn't plan for this, so we'll just we'll just take a look at it here. This is the updated top 12 picks of the NFL draft after the 49ers, Dolphins, and Eagles made some moves uh, last week in the draft. So just kind of running through this here while we're talking about the Eagles have the 12th pick now. Um, you're talking about, you know, is, is Smith going to be around? I don't think so. Uh, Jamar Chase, definitely not. Uh, Jalen Waddle, I think makes sense. Just having that Alabama connection. Um, they could bring him in potentially. Uh, there's also, you know, I mean, might be a little early for like a Rondale Moore kind of guy. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like, do they go the Kyle Pitts route if he's still around and do that double tight end position because he's kind of a hybrid tight end wide receiver. So if you're looking on YouTube right now, this is the updated draft order. Um, after the three draft trades last week, we have the Jags, Jets, Niners, top three, Falcons, Bengals, um, Dolphins, and number six now from Philadelphia. And then Lions, Panthers, Broncos. We expect two of those teams to take a quarterback, maybe even three with the Lions. I don't know about that high, though. And number 10, 11, and 12, uh, the NFC East, the Cowboys, your Giants, and the Eagles. Uh, from the 49ers there. So, I mean, what are they going to be able to do at pick 12 is basically our conversation and what we're looking at there. And I just don't think that, you know, those top guys aren't still going to be available. But if we see four or five quarterbacks, which people are talking about that we might, and we're going to get an offensive tackle, we're going to get a D end, you know how it goes, uh, you know, high profile linebacker. We could end up seeing some of these wide receivers uh, drop um, 
into that middle middle first round, which would be an absolute steal. So one thing I want to bring up too is Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of people are going to assume that because he's a mobile quarterback that they're not going to have as much pass volume. So this is me. This is me just thinking of my head. So I actually looked it up in the games that he actually started. Now remember, he didn't even play in the fourth quarter of the last game. So this is four, not even four full games. Uh, but we're talking about weeks uh, 14 to 17 when he became starter. I just looked up. He was tied for 10th in pass attempts. So what that tells me is that there is going to be pass volume on this team. They are not going to shy away from throwing the football. It's not going to be a Cam Newton situation where we saw the whole passing game just crater. So I think that to me means there's probably going to be at least two pass catchers, maybe even three that could be relatively fantasy, uh, relative for fantasy on this offense. So that's really important. Number 12, they pass on a wide receiver. We don't think a guy is going to be 150, 120 target guy. Jalen Rager, double digit round pick. Yep, and I like Jalen Rager regardless. I really do. I think the talent, the talent of Jalen Rager, I think is there. And if they took it like Devonta Smith or some high profile wide receiver, yes, they're going to compete for targets. But honestly, like if they're able to get rolling here, I think they'll be okay. I also don't think their defense is going to be as good. They've lost a couple key key performers in the defense this year. And if that's the case, then they might be playing a little bit more catch up with Dak getting healthy, your giants, hopefully getting a little better and the Washington football team being a little legitimate contender as well. So I do kind of like that for Jalen Rager, regardless. All right, man, we've buried the lead long enough. Let's talk about your boy, Kenny G and what it means here for the Detroit football lions. So Kenny G leaves, um, Kenny Galladay moves over to your uh, New York Giants, leaving behind Brashad Perryman, Terrell Williams, Quintus Cephas, um, eh, you know Jared Goff. I mean, it's not, it's not, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not exactly a, a super exciting uh, group of yeah. fantasy receivers. However, as you mentioned consistently, there's opportunity now. The question is going to be, um, who is this opportunity going to actually go to with uh, Kenny Galladay and uh, Marvin Jones moving on from Detroit? So two things, uh, and listen, go listen to the AFC podcast. We talk about a lot about this with Marvin Jones leaving. So I touched on a bunch of this stuff about, you know, Jared Cook, uh, Jared Goff loving to target the middle of the field. Why I think TJ Hawkinson's the guy that's going to benefit the most from the coaching change, from the quarterback change. I think TJ Hawkinson to me isn't no longer, I don't think he's any uh, top three tight end anymore. So he's not going to finish his top four. I think I'd probably low end tight end one like, like Hunter Henry was last year. All that being said, this team is vacating 334 targets. We can sit here all day and say they want to run, 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 and that's going to not be – it's not going to be equivalent, right? So they're going to throw less, and that means it's probably going to still be, oh, 200. So let's take off 130 passing attempts. It's still going to be 200 vacated targets for these guys to basically chop up to. And Hawkinson already had 100 targets. So really it's going to be the two main guys that come in, Williams and Perriman. Neither guy is really topped – has never topped 70 targets in a season. So that's why I believe that a guy like Swift and Hawkinson can really flourish and build on their momentum from last year. But that being said, Daryl Bevel's not the most pass-heavy guy. So I do believe that this is probably close to you know 250 to 300 passing attempts this season, uh, vacated targets. So I do believe that a lot of these are available, and I do think that Hawkinson can build from last year, and I also think that DeAndre Swift can build on his passing game usage from last year. How do you feel about my boy Quintez Cephas as the slot receiver? Because you've mentioned multiple times how much Jared Goff literally yeah. throws the most slot passes in the NFL the last couple of years. We know that Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup uh, have thrived off of that in the Rams offense the last few years. Any, uh, you know, any, uh, any vibes from Quintez Cephas? 
Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, is he going to be the slot guy? If he is, yeah, you're right. Everything. So the thing about Anthony Lynn, thing about Jared Goff, they are a perfect harmony and a blend for slot receivers. You think Keenan about, Allen. You know, yep. yeah, Keenan Allen, and you have Cooper Cup, and then even before that. It's Robert Woods back in the day when he was with the Bills. There's plenty of opportunities. The The guys that flourish the most in an anti-Lynn offense are hybrid inside-out guys. So guys that play in the slot, play outside, play yards after the catch. That's not Perriman, and that's not Williams necessarily. So I do believe that if Quintess Cephas takes over in the slot, you know, we've seen time and time again, Perriman and Williams are not volume receivers. That means there's plenty of opportunity for a guy like a volume receiver. And if Cephas is that guy, I think he's definitely worth that in the end of drafts. Excellent. Another deep name for you all out there. And worth a, worth a look in, in Dynasty as well. All yeah. right, let's move on to Kyle Rudolph here. 31 years old, signs a two-year $14 million deal with the Giants as well. Leaves behind Irv Smith. Irv Smith came in. Last year, everyone was very excited about him, had minimal opportunity, but made the most of it for the most part when he got it uh, down the stretch there. And Kyle Rudolph had kind of wanted more money or out of Minnesota for quite a while, so it was contentious. They finally get rid of him. He's out with the Giants. I'm kind of curious if you're going to, you know, you being the Giants, and Bobby, obviously you're making those decisions for our boy Gettleman. If you're going to keep Kyle well, – obviously Kyle Rudolph came in, but are you going to keep um, – uh, Ingram as well. Are you guys going to roll a two tight end situation? We'll see what happens. But let's talk about uh, what Kyle Rudolph leaves behind and the uh, potential for Irv Smith, a nice uh, rising star there for the Minnesota Vikings. So when I was looking at this, there was a four-game sample size with no Kyle Rudolph in those games. And actually, ironically enough, Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin split work, and they both had 20 targets in those four games. So it didn't become a single tight end focused offense. It wasn't like Irv Smith became the guy. They they basically just plugged in Conklin. So I do think that caps Irv Smith's upside even this year. I think Conklin is a they like him. That's it's going to be the same offense, and we kind of have proof of that. But however, what makes Irv Smith a low end tight end one this year is his usage in the red zone. So Kyle Rudolph still was a feature in the red zone, and Irv Smith took a backseat to that in the last in the four games without Kyle Rudolph. He, he was second in the team in red zone targets. He had seven of those. He only had seven in the previous nine games. So in four games without Rudolph, seven targets in the red zone. And then the nine previous games with Kyle Rudolph, seven targets. So he got a nice bump, about double of what he's normally seeing. And he had three touchdowns in the red zone. So that to me tell, and that's just four games. So, I mean, that's, I mean, what's on 16 game pace of 12, but that's, I'm just saying that's what we're talking about. He could easily be a 600-yard, 10-touchdown tight end, and sure enough, he falls into tight end one value. Absolutely agree. With bigger upside, again, with this offense uh, returning to form. Okay, let's talk about another tight end here, Gerald Everett. Uh, one of Lucas's uh, favorite moves here in the free agency, 26 years old, buried behind uh, all the weapons with the Rams and Tyler Higbee specifically. One year, six million dollar deal with Seattle. Uh, but let's talk about Tyler Higby now, uh, the Lone Ranger with uh, Josh Reynolds also leaving. So right now it's Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Tyler Higby as the main dogs there for the Rams. So I advise every single person that listens to this podcast to go back and try to figure out if you could see the last five weeks or so of 2019. And that's the upside of Tyler Higby. He was so dominant in 2019 in the latter half of that season when Everett went down. 
Now, the backup for Everett is like Modit or some Mundit or something like that. He's a blocking tight end. Tyler Higby is going to manipulate the targets. That's the difference between when we talked about tight ends, why we didn't like Higby is because we knew he was splitting work. Well, now it's the complete opposite. I love Tyler Higby because Everett is now gone. And now with Matthew Stafford coming in, this is some of the stats. That I, I, so his targets to tight end. So last season, TJ Hawkinson, 101 targets. 2019 and 12 games, he had 59 targets. In 2017, Ebron had 86 with Matthew Stafford, 85 in just 13 games in 2016. So over the last four out of the last five seasons, he's actually featured a tight end in his offense. That's coming from Stafford. Now you add in the fact that there is no Everett and he monopolized those targets. That's why Tyler Higby, to me, is probably locked in as a top six tight end this year, unless something crazy happens, of course. But I think Deshaun Jackson comes in. He's a great complement lid lifter, but he's not going to demand five targets a game necessarily. So I do believe that Higby is the biggest beneficiary of this. And I think Matthew Stafford has proven time and time again that he can support a tight end one in fantasy. I agree. And I am excited about Gerald Everett likewise. And again, we yeah. covered him in another episode, but Gerald Everett going to Seattle uh, with Russell Wilson, most likely staying after that Tyler Lockett contract. I like that move as well. Okay, buddy. Well, Scott, we got- let me ask you this. Scott, let's do this. Will Disley, Gerald Everett. Tell me, who do you think wins? Go. Um, oh God, it better be Gerald Everett. I'm going to put it out there. Will Will Disley is super fun. If you listen to footballers, you know about Big Montana. I love the idea. I love... I mean, he, and look, he's been a productive player, but he has had two gruesome season-ending injuries. I just can't expect him to stay healthy. Gerald Everett hasn't had the opportunity to really flourish when he's got the opportunity uh, in you know short stints with the Rams. He's been able to do it. Another one of these guys that's kind of that hybrid, huge receiver, tight end, athletically, Jonu Smith, Irv Smith, yada, yada. I want to see Gerald Everett getting 75, 80 targets with Russell Wilson, and seeing him catch eight to ten touchdowns, I don't think would be would be it would be crazy thinking of it because we haven't seen him do it yet. But I think it's absolutely possible. Okay, two players left, and then we'll do a couple um, reserves if we have any. Curtis Samuel, twenty four years old, three years, thirty four and a half million dollars. That is some cheese to go play for the Washington Football Team. But we're going to talk about his former teammates in Carolina. Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, the three of these guys kind of had, it was kind of the tale of three seasons with these wide receivers. You come in, Robbie Anderson comes over from the Jets early last year. We didn't know what to do with him. He was kind of a one-trick pony with the Jets. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really throw deep. What are we going to do with a rookie head coach, rookie play caller, yada, yada. And it was Robbie Anderson off the bat, absolutely on fire. Then DJ Moore finally woke up. And then it was Curtis Samuel down the stretch. So how do we feel now with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore getting more opportunity with Curtis Samuel being out and the potential here, if it bodes into your, to your analysis that the Panthers with a top 10 pick most likely looking at a quarterback. If that rookie is ready to go behind Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm not going to, so the quarterback situation is still in flux. I totally get that. But what I'm going to focus on is what Curtis Samuel's leaving the position he left. He was the primary slot guy and they replaced him with David Moore. David Moore is not a slot receiver. He never was. And I think when I was doing my research, it got me very excited for Robbie Anderson, and here's why. So Joe Brady was a former uh, coach under the New Orleans Saints for a couple seasons, and they featured a guy named Michael Thomas in the slot. Michael Thomas was a big slot player. Yeah, you, you might have. You might have. I've, you heard, know, I've heard of him, yeah. yeah. If you were born over the last year, you might not have. 
So for those one-year-olds, here you go. Here's some knowledge. That's uh, true. So, so um, yeah, so that was another thing. Then he goes to LSU, Joe Brady, and he features another great big slot guy named Justin Jefferson. And that got me to wonder, okay, is Robbie Anderson potential? Who would be the slot guy now that Curtis Samuel's gone? And sure enough, when I was doing my research, the guy who got the most slot usage was Robbie Anderson of the remaining guys. So between DJ Moore, between Robbie Anderson and David Moore, Robbie Anderson actually saw more time in the slot than those other two players, which leads me to believe it makes a lot of sense. They bring in David Moore. They could have easily went out and got a guy like Adam Humphreys or someone like that to just take over a slot receiver role. Instead, they bring in a guy who's primary outside, which makes me wonder, can Robbie Anderson kick inside? Last season, he was sixth. Was it sixth or fifth? Sixth in the NFL in yards per route run from the slot at 2.39 yards per route run. That's an insane number. So right there, it tells me he can be a great slot guy. Plus, the offense is conducive of having a guy like him in the slot. So that's a that's a stat. That's something I want to watch. You know, easily they can move these guys around like chess pieces, of course. But at the same time, if Robbie Anderson gets closer to a Keenan Allen type, where he's closer to 50% versus just 35, that's just more boost for his fantasy value. He'll be last year he was a wide receiver 23, currently being outside drafted outside that that mark. I think he could easily be a rock solid um, high end wide receiver too if he moves more inside. And of course, he has the big playability to take the top off as well. I like that a lot. And you would think that you know, it just seems like DJ Moore should be that guy. But I agree right. with you. And, and either way, man, this is kind of another one of those like T Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd situations we talked about earlier. It's like which one of these guys do you actually want? Um, I'll just throw it at you. Which of those two receivers right now? Teddy B is the quarterback. They're going to bring in somebody else. I think we all agree, but they haven't yet. So today. Who would you rather have, Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore, who is an absolute animal but doesn't score the touchdowns? Well, DJ Moore is, is right now early best ball ADP pick forty five. Anderson seventy one, and I silly. think silly. I think it's a cheat. I'm cheating, but I'm going to take Anderson just because of the ADP. I mean, right there, Anderson for some reason is not being viewed. They just lost Curtis Samuel. Like this is the point of looking at these episodes, and I think this is what my main focus because. You look at Robbie Anderson, he's being drafted in the sixth round in the 70s, and he was the wide receiver 23, and they just lost a key piece in Curtis Samuel and replaced him with a guy who's never been over, like, 50 targets in a season. So what that tells me is that I probably would pick Robbie Anderson. Listen, I was off DJ Moore last year uh, because I just saw the volume coming down. That offense in 2019 was one of the top three teams in passing attempts, and I just saw that coming down. But I think based on price point – I don't think I'm buying more in that 45 range, but I'm definitely buying Anderson in the 70s. I'm going to totally agree with you. Okay, let's get into our last name here. We got a couple of reserves at the end. Adam Humphreys, 27 years old, one-year deal with the uh, Washington football team, leaves behind A.J. Brown. Look, Jonu Smith is gone. Anthony Furcher's, or Anthony Furcher, Adam Humphreys is gone. Uh, Corey Davis is gone. They're going to bring in more weapons. They have to bring in more weapons to Tennessee, but the free agency is over. There's not big names left. They could do it in the draft, but they don't necessarily have a lot of uh, capital unless they move up here with Tennessee right now. A.J. Brown is, you know, bona fide stud, as we know. Is there anybody else here to even pay attention to until they make a move? So this is the thing. I, I, the reason why I kept Adam Humphreys in there, he's not necessarily a big name, and I totally get that, but it's a more of a building off of the Corey Davis discussion we had last um, Tuesday, and we're talking about A.J. Brown. And why I think this is important is because we started seeing 
them use A.J. Brown differently when they lost guys like Humphreys. Humphreys was their slot guy. And the interesting thing about it is once they Humphreys left, you saw a slight in, uptick in snaps to the slot for A.J. Brown, but we saw a big jump in targets in the slot. So his target uh, targets in the slot, so they basically what Pro Football Focus does, they track how many times a player is targeted when they're in the slot. And before Humphreys, he was about 26%. It jumps way over 40 when Humphreys was gone. So they were featuring him more in the slot. He was getting that. And that to me is just fantasy freaking gold. Like when these stud receivers can face nickel corners and get away from boundary guys, love it. So I think that's why this is important. The other thing is, which I couldn't believe, is that somehow Adam Humphreys in the games that he played was more of a focal point in the red zone than A.J. Brown. So that's the thing that's crazy. So Corey Davis and AJ um, and Adam Humphreys led the team in the games that Humphreys was healthy in targets in the red zone. So that's a big piece of the puzzle for AJ Brown. He needs to improve in the red zone, which I think we all think he can. He's a big bodied guy, but that's another tick for him. That's why I still believe he's a top five guy. It just keeps coming. We might just talk about AJ Brown to close yeah. our episode. It's going to be TCK pod closing it on AJ Brown every time. I love it. And you know what? I, I would love to close on AJ Brown, but I have to give a shout out to my boy, Josh Reynolds, who we haven't talked about much, but he is coming in. He was the third string, fourth string guy between, you know, behind again, cup and woods in, in uh, Los Angeles with the Rams. Um, he now joins the offense. So the, the Titans last season averaged nearly 400 yards per game. That was tied for second in the NFL and they scored 31 points per game, which was fourth in the NFL. So they're high powered. We know that. Corey Davis, sure, he had his up games. Adam Humphreys had a role. John Smith had a role. But neither one of those guys were necessarily game breakers. If Josh Reynolds can come in as a number two, which he already is automatically right now, and they bring in maybe one or two other names, he could have an opportunity to be that Corey Davis uh, of last year. And I think he's got a great opportunity to do so. So keep it uh, – we, we mentioned just a handful of these later – you know, late round draft picks that I just don't think have gotten a lot of love over the last couple of years because they haven't had a role. And Josh Reynolds is a guy who hasn't been draftable the last three, four years in fantasy football. I do think, A, he will be because he's the number two in Tennessee. B, I think he's just another late round flyer that has big opportunity, big, strong, long um, uh, wide receiver who has a just totally different skill set than A.J. Brown. And obviously the offense in Tennessee runs to ten, uh, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. But just keep an eye on my boy Josh Reynolds as well. So I want to say this about Josh Reynolds, and this is the key thing here. So last year, he's vac- Corey Davis is vacating a, a, a position where he averaged 11.5 points per game and half point PPR. That was good for about wide receiver 29. So that, to me, tells me, okay, so he's the wide receiver three. that They produced a wide receiver one and a wide receiver three last year. This team's vacating 224 targets. So I might, I might give you a glance. I might be, I might be with this guy. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely one of my guys. And it's it's fun to get excited about the younger guys like Denzel Mims or Jalen Rager, who are a rookie, didn't have a chance, and blah, blah, blah. Josh Reynolds has been around a while. He's just been buried behind two studs, Cup yeah. and Woods. I think now he can get the opportunity there. So keep an eye on Josh Reynolds in Tennessee. All right, Bobby, did you have another name or two you want to get here before we get out of here? Yeah, the one is going to be the departure of guys like Jarek McKinnon for the San Francisco running backs. Now, I know we've gotten burnt over the last couple of years between Matt Breda and Raheem Moster and Tevin Coleman and, you know, you name it. Outside, and basically since Carlos Hyde, we've been burnt by the running backs in San Francisco. No offense. Love those guys. 
But well, the one thing I want to talk about was Jarek McKinnon doesn't seem like he got a lot of touches, but he was very, very – he was featured in the passing game. So he did play 16 games, and I know some of these guys didn't. But he still led the team in routes, targets, out of the running back position in San Francisco, and now he's gone. With Tevin Coleman also leaving, it really is going to start – we pray and hope that Mostert and Wilson can kind of take over. And we'll – there is some room for optimism for these guys in the past game. So Wilson is actually pretty decent in pass pro. He actually was, um, he was, he led the team in running back targets the last four weeks. And currently his ADP is in the hundreds. So if Raheem Moster is utilized more as a one, two back and they use Wilson in the passing game, which they did last year over the last four weeks, you know, Wilson could be falling into some work. And plus, he's a dominant goal linebacker if he gets passing game work. This is kind of that 1B that we were talking about a little bit earlier. The 1Bs that flourish are guys that are featured more in the passing game. That could be Jeff Wilson. However, I don't want to look overlook Raheem Mostert. Because Mostert – and I, so I did an analysis last year called the running back opportunity analysis. And it was a, basically a combination of researching points per snap and points per touch and combining those metrics to understand who are the most elite backs on a per-snap and per-touch basis. Raheem Mostert two years ago was like Derrick Henry-esque, like when he talking about how dominant he was. Now, I understand that he couldn't finish the season. He played eight games, but he was very good in those eight games. But the thing that really caught my eye about Mostert is that he actually led the team in yards per route run for running backs at 1.71. And 1.71 yards per route run for running backs is actually really not bad. And you're getting a much better discount for him. He's going to pick 72 this year. So last year you had to take probably him in the fourth, maybe even the fifth round. This year that's not the case. You can probably get him in the sixth, seven, maybe even the eighth round, depending on your league. So I do think that McKinnon leaving, Tevin Coleman leaving, can't forget about your boys. And now how do you feel about all that? Did I did nope. accurate to pick? Tell me. Yes, yes. Everything <laughs> is everything is stellar. I just want to throw extra love to my boy Jeff Wilson. I, 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 I'm going to just straight up call because it's on record and I can find if someone really needs to call me out on it. But a couple of years ago when it was Tevin Coleman came in for the big dollars and we still had Jarek McKinnon came in for the, the big dollars and blah, blah, blah. And I saw the year before that Raheem Mostert accidentally get a couple of carries and absolutely ball out. Then I was like, hmm, he was awesome. It was a Monday night game against the Raiders, and he was tearing it up. And he took a he took a drive up the middle, landed funky, and if you remember correctly, broke his arm pretty much right about here in half. And it was absolutely gruesome, but he was done for the rest of the season. But I saw in that game, I was like, this kid's legit. Anyway, he ends up being the fastest running back play of the NFL. I couldn't trust him and Coleman, who never got it done with Devonta Freeman. Can't trust Jarek McKinnon, who never got it done anyway, and he's fragile. We've seen that. So I was like, Raheem Mostert's going to be my guy. Sure enough, he was. I think last year I called that Jeff Wilson was going to be that year's Raheem Mostert, which he was down the stretch until he got injured. Yeah. We also have Jermichael Hasty. Let's not forget about him. I mean, the 49ers just have the ability yeah. to turn out running backs in the Shanahan offense specifically. So I love Raheem Mostert. No shade. I think you're absolutely correct. Don't forget about Jeff Wilson. Don't forget about Jermichael Hasty. Jermichael Hasty's forgotten about and he's free. Dynasty leagues, go get him. Why not? Jeff yeah. Wilson's going to be a you know tenth round pick probably when it's all said and done. Scoop him up, high level league winning um, uh, handcuff, and I think he's going to get work anyway because we know the Shanahan uh, can run it. So absolutely, keep an eye on the Niners. We're getting long in the tooth, man. If you have one more name, let's get into it. Uh, I'm good, man. Honestly, I was going to talk a little bit about Adrian Peterson and what that could do for DeAndre Swift, but I think for the most part we've covered it in the AFC podcast. I think that really DeAndre Swift to me. Uh, you know, in this offense, I do believe that his passing game usage, Anthony Lynn 
has utilized running backs in the passing game. We saw what he did with Austin Eckler over the last couple of seasons. Eckler was even – I put, actually, follow me on Twitter. I always post this random fun facts about what I'm doing in my research, and one of them was about Eckler's usage in his eight full games last year. So I do believe that Swift's going to have a nice passing game usage, but I think Adrian Peterson leaving really opens him up as the primary ball carrier as well. Absolutely. And make sure y'all do go follow my man, Bobby LaMarco on Twitter, FFX, the letter X factor, FF, the letter X factor. You can see it on YouTube right here. If you're not subscribed to YouTube and you're listening to the podcast, make sure to find us on YouTube, the candlestick kids, make sure you subscribe, please. And hit the bell, leave us a comment. Let us know your favorite NFC move. You can follow me on Twitter personally at my name, Sky Guasco, S K Y G U A S C O. You can find the candlestick kids and all the TCK stuff on Instagram at fantasy football underscore TCK pod. Bobby and I have been at it for the last couple of weeks. We're going to get Dweez and Lucas back in the mix as well as we turn the corner into April. Very excited about this, man. We got the draft at the end of the month, and then we're going to get into some of this. You know, We'll get the rookies landing, and we'll have more content around Dynasty and things like that once we get into it. Very, very excited, man. It's been a pleasure working with you the last couple of weeks, my man. Uh, good luck to the Padres. Um, being in the NL West with you, um, I hope that you lose every time you play the Giants. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. history tells me even when the Giants are absolutely dominating and the Padres are horrendous, they always lose to the Padres. So hopefully the tables will turn uh, now. We appreciate you turning into the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast as usual. Make sure to give us uh, some love and tell a friend and a family member. We'll catch you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. From my man Bobby Lamarco, a.k.a. Fantasy Football X Factor, I'm your host, Sky Guasco, and we are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.